0: hi and welcome to driving leadership I'm David Foster
1: I'm Mike Metcalf and I am Sean Pete
0: today we want to talk about hiring resumes are shit a donkey can look like a thoroughbred for the first few steps and nobody's job ever turns out to be exactly what we're hired for so how do we hire in this digital environment that really resembles online dating
2: uh I'm just going to throw a disclaimer out here. I was recently told by two mentors of mine that I was fundamentally unhirable, so I may not be the best person to listen to.
1: And I went to school in the Ivy League, so I have a free pass because it says Ivy League on my degree. So I, mean, be the, I may not be the person either, David.
0: <laughs> you might want to check that degree if, it, if it's from the Ivy League. <laughs> <laughs> Well, right before we hit record, I confess that the uh, last time I was hired through a job interview was also the first time, and it was right before I graduated from school. And I think we probably have more experience being the person who's doing the hiring than the one going through the interview.
2: Yeah, I was trying to, somebody asked me when, when was the last time I used a resume, and it's been, God, probably 15 years you just i got into racing um and you know you know people and it's through relationships and you get opportunities and, and sean's probably the same way when's the last time you used a resume yeah so, uh, w- when you did you know <laughs> I, I would hate to pull it up because it'd be, it'd be like uh
1: uh meat service counter uh <laughs> delivery guy or somebody like you know what i mean like it is so you're right it's been a long time you know we've hidden in the world of sports for so long that you, you just, it's based on performance. You don't take a resume to a hockey team or a NASCAR team, you just perform. Right? Yeah,
0: and my, my work life has always been the extension of some sort of contract or, or consulting or something like that that occasionally has morphed into something that looks like a real job. But maybe we should stick to what it's like to hire people mm-hmm. and what that process is. And I want to say the the very first thing that comes to my mind, which is it's much more of an art than a science.
2: I would agree. It's, um, you know, there's a lot of coursework. There's a lot of, you know, uh, content in academia that will tell you do these things right to get the perfect person. And I just, we just haven't had success that way.
0: Does the perfect perf- person exist?
2: I, I think no, but, you know, I'm, I'm sure people would argue with me on that. Yeah, and David, I think you're right. I think it so much boils
1: down to a combination of gut feel and looking for the right things, right? And that's where mm-hmm. I think, you know, this this way of, you know, oh, I need your resume has become a little bit archaic, right? Mm-hmm. Like we, Mike and I had a meeting in our boss's office today and there are nine resumes on his desk. And I'm just looking at them and I'm like, you know, I've, I've uh, nine years as a NASCAR mechanic.
3: Okay, mm-hmm. well,
1: that's great because NASCAR just changed all their cars, everything mm-hmm. is different so what do you have it's not 9 years a lot of us don't have 9 years of experience of anything cuz covid just wiped it all away right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you have 1 year of experience in this post covid world or you have 1 year of experience in this new nascar world you know what i mean like it's just it, it, we will go down the road with this but like it's just funny some of the things that we look for right that that have to be you know are non negotiable we want this but we won't take a chance on some other things and, and I'm excited to get into this episode because I think um, I think this is where a lot of companies go wrong.
0: yeah and I think I think the companies it, to be to be fair, I think the companies have a little bit of a a barrier to overcome because if if the ultimate goal is to get to know the person that you potentially might hire, there's a long list of things that you can't ask them or talk to them about legally, which would be a natural question if you met somebody socially at a party, uh, a reference or something like that. You know, age, where they're from, their marital status, their family, religion, you know, do you own a home, like all these things. And there's, there's good reasons why HR departments are not allowed or hiring people are not allowed to ask those questions. But it creates a huge challenge for us to try to figure out what somebody's story is and what they're like, because we have to walk around these sort of like landmines of like, oh, you can't ask this, you can't ask that.
2: I think that's that's why we're here. That's why people are going to listen. You know, mm-hmm. um, hopefully we can, you know, there's some practical things that I think we've all done. You know, we've, we've not gone through that process ourselves, but we've hired a ton of people over the last decade mm-hmm. or so um, and, and had a lot of success. And so...
0: I want to emphasize that hiring somebody is really the, the belief in what their story is, right? You have to figure out what their story is to the best of your best of your ability. You have to be able to tell the story of your business, your team, what their job would be and how they would interact. And you know, there's that thing that people say, like they don't quit jobs, they quit bad bosses. And there's the corollary, which is don't choose a job or don't pick a job because of its job description, but pick a job because of the boss or the leader or the people that you're going to work with. Mm -hmm. And I think that finding that synchronicity is really the way the art unfolds of finding the person who's going to fit on the team and fit in the business's goals.
1: And I think, you know, there's the first key in all of this, though, David, you talk about the fit and the synchronicity. I think a lot of times what we're doing is we're looking for, okay, we have a C level employee, Uh, if I can get a B or an A, we're going to level this thing up. So that's that's what I'm looking for. But instead of looking for that, we should be looking for what's complementary, right? It might be another C employee that would complement the group, um, you know, I mean, that makes the whole thing better. And I think some of the things that we go after are amiss, right? You start off by saying even a donkey can look like a thoroughbred for the first two interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's the main hurdle in hiring is that you are getting the person's representative, the best version of themselves. Mm-hmm. And and I think the key is like, how do we peel those layers back to
2: find what what's really sitting or standing in front of us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, nothing against... Staffing agencies and, and, and things of this matter, but you know when you're outsourcing some of this work, you get you miss what you just talked about, David. You know mm-hmm. you you don't get to hear that full story and get to fall in love with it and see how it meshes well with the other stories on your team. You kind of get, a, hey, here's the list. We narrowed it down to these three based upon probably metrics that you sent to this you know agency. But man, you, maybe there's some more that you that didn't make the cut that would have, would have been perfect, you know. So it's just uh, I think it's um, up to us to kind of reimagine and rethink how we how
0: we do this whole hiring thing in the first place. Yes, and I think that if you are in the position of hiring somebody, you have to embrace how I don't know imperfect the whole process is, right? That you go back to the online dating again, right? You can make your list of, well, if he or she had, or didn't have these things, then that will be the perfect match. And that almost invariably is never true, right? And so when you're talking to somebody, yes, maybe they came in because something in the job description matches what they want to do or some of their skills, but really it's almost like, an internal juggling act for the leader. You're talking to somebody, you're figuring out their story and you think, okay, I can figure out how this, I can figure out while we're talking, maybe how this person could work with our team, how they might be able to make it better. Maybe there's some things that could be worse. I'd have to adjust the job description a little bit. They'd have to adjust a little bit, but that's almost as that's the best it would get, right? You never fill out, a job description and somebody shows up and says, yes, I have this degree. Yes, I did this. This is exactly the same thing. And by the way, you know, I get along with everybody. It, <laughs> it never happens. Never.
2: Yeah. And then, you know, to take that a step further, you think about online dating, right? So say you, you go on a date, you match with somebody, um, matching with them and saying, all right, let's do this. Let's hire you know, there's still an amount of work that has to happen to build the relationship. And I think a lot of times we, we pick the right person or we think we do, and then they don't work out, but maybe we didn't continue developing that relationship. We gave them a laptop. We had a orientation for day one, we gave them a pamphlet and then we sent them off to the races. Well, that's not how relationships work. And I I think we don't think about hiring in that, in that view. Mm -hmm. Um, we're all married right imagine if we just said hey all right you're hired all right sweet Let's (laughs) let's hope this all works out it just doesn't work that way so i think a lot of times how you bring people in in the environment that you bring them in and the the you know the the teamwork and the connectivity in it i think will often dictate how that hire ends up working out or not Mm -hmm. and again how you bring people in you know i think that starts with
1: intention and the thing that we hear so often these days is we just don't have time right Mm -hmm. and again i think we've talked about this before if you if you don't have time it just means it doesn't matter enough to you and you know we're in the midst of the great resignation you know people have reevaluated their relationship with money a lot of people are leaving right so again there's there's two things going on companies are being forced to hire out of necessity right so a lot of times what we're doing is we're just bringing people through the door that don't fit our culture we just have to have them um and And I think that's a miss, right? Because I think what you start doing is is you introduce people into your culture um, that can negatively impact two, three, four, five people. Mm-hmm. so that one hire didn't move you forward. It actually took you back four steps. Mm-hmm. So so really getting intentional about, okay, what do we really want out of this? You know what 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 are the things that makes this person complimentary to 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 our program or our business? um and, and really, sticking to those right because you know if you look at the whole hiring process a ton of our implicit bias is going to come in you know Mm. even if we're cognizant of it we're Mm -hmm. still going to be guilty of it you know one thing i heard recently that i really loved is um the employer called the employee the night before so that they could have a genuine conversation without seeing one another so Mm -hmm. there was no implicit bias based on any visual cues that came up Mm mm-hmm so I, I just thought that was an interesting way to do it. I'd never heard that before. And I thought, you know what? What a great start. Mm-hmm. So you come in, you've already built somewhat of a rapport. So, you know, you may be shocked because you probably built this ver- version of this person in your head um, and it's not even close to what sits in front of you.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Another great idea, which unfortunately got shot down by HR, is somebody that I know uh, interviewed somebody who's who turned up in the interview to be quite nervous. And that seemed to be an impediment to, you know, getting to know this candidate. And so they wanted this, the person hiring wanted to take the candidate for a walk through the facility at another time. Like, let's just, the two of us will walk through and we'll look at some things and we'll talk about it because the person hiring thought, you know, that this, this person might have something here and hr shut it down. Nope, can't do that, right? This person has to go through this almost like gauntlet of you know senior vice president of blah 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 and the director of this and you know you got 45 minutes to sell yourself to this person who if you work here you might see twice a year at the company meeting, right? Mm-hmm. And so I like this I really like this idea of it being less formal and more human, right? because the the idea of the interview, I think, is trying to form a connection with somebody almost as if you're both human beings, right and yeah there's a job, and yes, we have to make these certain things happen and you have to work with these people doing the certain things but if you can't understand who that person is what their story is and they can't understand that about you then you're then you're back to the online dating thing swiping and checking things and saying okay well yeah i'll go on friday night with this person
2: yeah it's why i believe it was the a gallup stat saying that two-thirds of uh, all u.s employees would trust a complete stranger before they trust their boss you know, mm-hmm. and and then also I think it's three quarters of leaders right now are saying they feel unprepared to do their jobs. Mm-hmm. And, and so much of this starts with relationship and that, but to Sean's point, intention, that means you're starting this the night before the interview, you know, you're creating mm-hmm. this relationship, you know, before it ever even gets re- officially started.
0: I think that that's about embracing the imperfection of the entire process. If you wanna walk somebody through a facility uh, if you want to call them the night before, that, that means you're addressing how imperfect the, the formality of the interview is.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, you know, the beauty of that is it can be perfectly imperfect, right? That's what we all are, perfectly imperfect, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think very few of us, you know, walking through life throwing no hitters. Maybe Brad Pitt, maybe, maybe that guy, <laughs> but none of us. Um, and, and like I said, allowing some humanness to creep into it. You know, we, mm-hmm. you know, speaking to people, you know, not like you're speaking to them from a car manual, almost like, almost like it's, uh, through a novel or poetry, right? So there's, you know, like I said, taking some of the, ster- we ha- we use such sterile languages sometimes, right? Mm. Coupled with a lack of intention, right? So it's like, oh yeah, we have a interview at three. Oh shoot. It's, it's five minutes to three. Now, there's no intention put into that. Mm-hmm. like if it if it matters to the company right retention starts with having the right people in the building yeah
0: Yeah, i agree and if you look at your past hires right if you're in a position where you've hired multiple times you can you can almost look back and say well what what i thought was going to happen or what i thought was that person's story or how it was going to work obviously didn't happen right? And so when you're going through the hiring process and you're trying to weed through candidates and figure out what will work the best, you have to keep that in mind. You have to keep it in mind that it's an imperfect process and it's an art and there's an awful lot of internal juggling going on because, you know, you might get somebody who has certain skills that you didn't think that they would have and they don't have other skills that you want to have, but the they would still be a good fit. And you have to make that decision, you know, will it, will it work out in the balance, right? Can I make the team work? Because that's a leader's job, right? Leader's job is to make it work right with, with, with the team that you have and the tasks that are in front of you. And that's not, that's not an easy thing. And, you know, you can't come up with a list of like the three, the three must questions in an interview. You must ask these questions and then you'll be a success. It just, it doesn't work like that.
2: Sean, you want to, I'll, I'll let Sean go first. Cause we share the same miss here, but you know, maybe David, talk about a time where you missed it in hiring. Uh.
1: Yeah. One, one of our early failures uh, in leadership, at the company we had been hired by david was we we went out and and uh we signed one of the best tire carriers in the sport mm-hmm. and, and mike and i are high-fiving each other you know running to our boss's office talking about this huge win we got and this guy comes in um pretty decent at throwing tires um but absolutely toxic to the culture and right there as young leaders, Mike and I had to make the decision five races into a season. Do we just eat this and let this guy tear us apart? Or do we acknowledge our mistake, let him go, and start over? Mm-hmm. So sure enough, we called him in the, in the office and we're like, you know, the team had been struggling. And I said, hey, man, look, we're uh, we're going to make a change. Mm-hmm. And he looks at me dead in the eyes and he's like, okay, good. Who is it? <laughs> and uh we're like well is you and you, you gotta go but you know the one thing that mike and i realized in that instance and and we have never gone back on is that we are always going to hire enthusiasm over aptitude a hundred out of a hundred times mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so many times teams companies we default to the industry veteran yeah. well they've done it you know for 16 years or or, you know, the, the the New York Times article that, that chronicled, you know, what do you do with the brilliant jerk? Mm-hmm. right You know this guy's going to lead or this lady's going to lead your sales. So, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put up with them. Mm-hmm. We're not going for that because when you do that, you're also bringing in um, the disease of nostalgia into your company. Mm-hmm. I've always done it this way or I was successful at this pharmaceutical company doing it this way or, right, when you bring in someone that, you know, doesn't have the you know, that body of work, but they're enthusiastic, you're betting on yourself as a leader that you can get this person to the finish line.
0: And Mm -hmm. this
1: person is going to be as good or better than the person that's done it for 16 years. And Mm -hmm. it was just, it was a very formative lesson for us early on.
0: Yeah. One of, one of my big misses is almost, is almost the same exact story. Toxic, didn't work with the culture and had you know, a fairly big amount of inertia. This is the way I've always done it. Right. And it's a, he had some pretty impressive credentials. You, know, you talk about the resume mm-hmm. and it was supposed to be a, it was supposed to be a move to help the the business grow. And he had worked at bigger businesses and could pull it along, but my God, was it a bad fit? And we eventually got to the point where, you know, we're all looking around the room like, well, this just isn't working, right? And fortunately, fortunately, you know, I had some good relationships within the company where people could voice their concerns very clearly and honestly, and they knew they weren't gonna be, you know, okay, so I know this is a C-level person, as in C-suite and not ABC. I know this is a C-level person, but I want to explain to you, this is what I see, right? Those are actually the the, the literal words that were spoken to me one day. And we did did the same thing, like, it's time for us to walk you out of the building, right? Um, And boy, was that an expensive mistake. Forget the salary, which was high, but it was an expensive mistake in terms of like, it was almost, I don't know if any of you guys have been robbed before. Somebody breaks into your house and steals something. Steals a lot of somethings. Yeah. But when you go into your house the next day, you have this creepy feeling of like, okay, this is all familiar, but I don't exactly feel comfortable here. Mm-hmm. And that's how, that's how it felt after we fired this individual, right? We eventually repaired and did very well. But boy, what a massive mistake. And this this leads me to, I've got my little list of like, you know, things for people to think about. But, you know, when we talk about the biology of humanity and the way people connect, right, our bodies know things before our mind is conscious of them, right? And one of the things I want leaders to think about or be aware of when they're hiring is when you when you're interviewing with somebody and you just get this feeling like pay attention to that don't judge but be really really aware that you know I feel excited or I feel a little defensive or I feel you know disappointed or whatever it is whatever comes up like really be aware of that and write it down Don't show it to anybody, but write it down right after it happens. And when you're thinking about all the different candidates and you have to make a decision, look to that, because I think that that's really, really important.
2: I would agree. And it's important because the way that you are, you know, whatever emotions or thoughts you're feeling, that's what other people are going to feel when they're in sales meeting and pitching and, (laughs) you know, working. Like if if you haven't, if it's an uneasy encounter for you, then it's probably going to be that way for others. But why do we tolerate that? Because, you know, a lot of times we'll tolerate that because it comes with a
1: sales number. Yeah. Is that person the right fit or not? They're not. They're not, you know, but it's as leaders, that's really hard because you're especially young leaders. And I mean, young in the position um, because you're admitting fault and you're admitting fault early. Mm -hmm. Um, But the thing is, is if you want longevity in this leadership game. It's one of the first things that's got to happen is if you make a misstep, you have to acknowledge it and you have to rectify it.
0: Yes. And you're, you're getting into a little bit of my backyard here because I do a lot of work with startups and and companies led by founders and four out of five people who start a company, you know, the successful company have never been in management before. Right. So you can imagine, when they go to hire somebody, what's their reference point? Movies, hopefully books, right? Maybe hopefully. a podcast or two, right? And all of us will make mistakes in that area. And, and Sean, I think you're exactly right. Like, it's, it's very almost seductive to have somebody come in with the big resume and I did this and look at my campaign, look at, you know, I built this product, I have all these things, but if you're gonna piss off everybody in the building, you're gonna pit people against each other and be manipulative and generally unhelpful, all those accolades aren't gonna make any difference.
1: Right, and, and, and that big resume, there's an allure to that, right? Because you're showing your superiors, hey, look at the talent I'm bringing into the company. Mm. We also got to realize there's a reason that talent is available. Mm -hmm. And again, that's where the intention piece goes back to. It's figuring out, okay, why is this person available? Why with such an amazing resume, you know, whenever I see that now, I'm like, okay, it puts me on like high alert. Like, why do we have a shot at this person? Mm -hmm. What what do I not know? And, uh, you know, I just think it's it's something that, um, you know, it's hard. Again, we, you know, use the term young leader. To take someone with less you know less experience less aptitude but but if they're enthusiastic you know the, the things that you can do with those people and it's a leap of faith sometimes right because you're a young leader you're already questioning yourself you know can i can i do this the answer is yes you can right it's just a matter of believing telling yourself first and then
2: believing that you can do it yeah right and i think a lot of people i think the misconception is that that's a win-win, right? Either this person, the big resume, is either going to work out, or if they don't, well, it's not because of me. They, you know, like they just didn't fit here. And um, I don't know. I just think we can do it a better way. I think, you know, if you're going to end up spending money on benefits and uh, getting people up to speed on things and uh, all the resources that we have to allocate to a new employee, why not put that on the front side? You know, make make that investment on the front side to see. And that's kind of what we've, you know, through these experiences of hiring some of these all-stars that didn't work out. We're like, all right, well, those are expensive mistakes and they cost us. Let's spend that money on the front side. So we've just kind of curated a very different way of hiring people.
0: Yeah, and I think that, Mike, your point about it's not me, you know, because look at this person's big resume. That is the... That is the way a young leader hides, right? So if, you know, if, if I've got my own company or I'm in charge of hiring for my department, uh, of course I go with the safe person, right? Like I can, I can sort of rationalize, well, this is why I made this decision. But the reality is it's not a, it's not a good way to make a decision. Right. Because if you're responsible for making it work, for creating your team, for creating the culture, that's a, that's a, a hire is a huge piece of that. Right. And the other thing is that that sort of influences what other people think about what you're doing. Right. If you hire the, you know, the big resume and sort of like imply that it comes with a lot of performance and benefit and that sort of thing but the hire turns out to be just a raging asshole (laughs) well guess guess what those people guess what the people on your team are going to think
1: so a, a lot of these companies you know mike and i use this analogy that they're like a puzzle and some of them are a long way down the line and they only need one piece to finish the puzzle and they're so desperate to get to the finish line that instead of waiting for the piece that completes the puzzle, they just grab whatever piece and they just pound it into the puzzle to complete it, right? And it just doesn't fit.
2: And mm. you know that pretty quickly. Are you brave enough to move off that person? Yeah. And, and you know, to an earlier point, um, we, we've we seen this so much in, in motorsports, uh, but in, but also in a lot of the, the companies we worked with, where when when a lot of growth happens, which is what you're seeing in a lot of environments now, uh, you just hire the most qualified person, you know? So, uh, you know, we're, we're growing our race shop. So now our best mechanic becomes a shop foreman. Well, he's a, or she's a really good mechanic, not not yeah. necessarily somebody that's a good shop foreman. It's like, all right, well, we gotta, we gotta have a a, a head of sales or a head of marketing. Well, who's our best at you know, who, who has our highest sales number now? And then you put them in charge of everybody, and it's a train wreck. And it's like, well, I don't understand why. And it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, you were hiring for a skill set, hoping that they would grow into something. But a lot of times, people don't grow into stuff. They are, you kind of got what you got. You know, like, there are certain skills that can be refined and developed over time. But, you know, we say all the time, you doing your job isn't making you a better leader, right? It's just making you better. You're spending more time at that job you may have more competency in sales and marketing or being a mechanic, but it's not making you a better leader. And that's what is the difference when we're talking about driving leadership and we're talking about hiring those leadership skills need to be present, you know, from the day, from day one.
0: Yeah. And you know, the, that, that whole idea of the best car salesman becomes the manager, right? Is I think a huge flaw in corporate America here, right? Because, They're, they're two completely different skill sets. A good friend of mine is a advisor for educational policy and oftentimes the most popular teacher, uh, becomes the principal, right? And his point of view, which he'll say to anybody who listens is the principal should be the head janitor, right? They should be the one to make the school work and the teachers should run the academics right and so when you're hiring and you're hiring from within unfortunately a lot of people i think you know come to something and say well you know i sold the most screws and washers in this last quarter so i get to be the manager right and that's just that's just shooting yourself in the foot
2: yeah what, what do you guys think about the uh the companies that have the pay to quit policies you, know, you love it love yeah. it <laughs> I, I agree i agree
1: if it takes two thousand dollars to get you out of the building i'd rather you leave now than a month from now
0: if, a, if i think the statistic is something like if a, if an employee doesn't finish out a year right and leaves because of bad fit or something like that it can cost up to three times the amount of the employee's salary to replace them right so if you've got a hundred thousand dollar employee and you say in the first 30 days the first 60 days or something you get five grand or ten grand to leave that's a bargain i want to i want to throw something out about pay you yeah. know oftentimes if you're a young leader sometimes you don't have a lot of latitude about how much you pay but if you are the you know, head of the department or you're the owner or founder of a business, you often have an awful lot of influence over what get, what somebody gets paid. Hmm. And having, having worked with different types of pay scales, I'll say this people should be happy with what they're getting paid. That doesn't mean that they think that they're, you know, getting away with something, but if they're not paid well, they eventually build up a sense of resentment about what they're doing in the company. And, you know, uh, Sean, you tell the story about uh, the the owner of the race team showing up in his, you know, $100,000 car or something like that and trying to talk to somebody who's not able to buy a $100,000 car.
1: Right. Uh, well, and first of all, let me start by saying it was a P3 McLaren. I think it was about a $1.3 million car. Um, you know, and I, I think, but there's a very fine line. Um, and and this is where, uh, you know, one of the things that we fought early on was entitlement. And we found that that was bred on the front side of these contracts that we were putting in front of people. Mm -hmm. So what we started to do was like, you know, put a, put a more modest sum in front of someone because we did not want them to be there because we were the highest paying. We wanted them to believe in what we were doing or believe in us as leaders and what we did is we we challenged people to bet on themselves. Look, if you come in here, you're a great experience, you're collaborative, you produce, you execute on race day, we can get you to here. Mm-hmm. but You're going to bet on yourself to do it. And what we found was that kind of rid the program of the entitlement piece. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times I think you you know, we had no success with bringing people in on the big dollars because then they just felt like they'd arrived. And, and we just didn't see it in the work ethic, the way they treated other people. And I'm not saying that's a, you, you throw a blanket over it and that hits everybody, but we've had more success lower on the front side with the potential to earn more. If you're a contributing, you know, member of this team. I
2: think that gives people uh, a little bit of a grace, a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of a grace period, right? When you come in up here, you got to go. And you know, if things hit the fan, uh you're the first one out it's like all right well where do we go to cut big expenses well, we're going to go to big salaries but if you start a little lower maybe a little more more modest humble um and have the the runway to kind of work your way up into it you know uh people need time to grow and develop i mean i think that's all of us i mean i think we can all look back and say we just know a lot more now than we did 10 years ago. Right. So giving people uh, an opportunity to grow and develop in their career, I I don't think is a bad thing. It definitely, um, you know, to Sean's point, um, helps people feel valued. It's like, Hey, I'm, I, as, as a a leader, am committing to your development and we're going to start here, but our goal is to get here, but we're going to do that together.
0: Yeah. I would, I would, I would agree with that. And I think what I was talking about is leaders shouldn't try to get the cheapest possible person to fill that role. Sure. Right? Because if if you're looking at people and saying, well, you know, this person is $4,000 less a year and, you know, that means that, you know, it'll change our gross margin, blah, blah, blah. That's not a really intelligent decision. Right. I definitely agree with this idea of advancement and growth and not commission necessarily, but almost like, uh, if you can, if you can come down this path with me, you can see the rewards that are coming. Right. Like that is excellent. And I love it. My, my first statement was more about not trying to figure out how cheap can you get an SEO expert? right? It, it, because that's not going to help you build your team. It's not going to help you build collaboration and cooperation. And that person's not going to be that dedicated.
1: Right. It's, it's like, it's, it's like rebuilding an, one, an old hot rod. You don't go for the cheapest wheels and the cheapest paint job and the, you're going to have a hot rod at the end, but it's going to be a disaster. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and to start out, I almost feel like that's, you're starting out playing from behind right Mm -hmm. i'll get the cheapest guy or the cheapest girl no no Mm -hmm. go 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 get the best person you can afford and there's a big difference between the two going after the cheapest and the best person you can afford you know and making sure that 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 is always you know the best person you afford is i think is forward forward looking and forward thinking
0: Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm how do you guys how do you guys think about feedback in other words you're not the only person to evaluate a candidate right
1: right i think that well, that's one of the big things that we have like mike talked about you know how we have a highly curated first day experience you know it culminates in that candidate going out for lunch with four to six of our athletes and they vet that person because the truth of the matter is they're the ones that are going to be more closely working with that person than mike and i are
3: mm-hmm.
1: so if they, if it's not a fit there why you know why even waste of time yeah,
2: mm-hmm. there've been been people that we were like you know checked all our boxes let's move forward and one of the you know somebody comes back from a lunch or a, a meeting or something with you know time with this person and they're like i, I just don't think this is a good fit for us and, and it's up to us to trust these, you know these people you know and say mm-hmm. okay if if you got if you if you if you're out then we're out yeah so to answer your question i think it's vitally important yeah.
1: You know, and again, you're throwing five or six brains at it instead of just one.
2: Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I am a I am a big fan of having that person potential hire interact with whatever team they're going to be working on. I think having that having that group interaction is sometimes tough. It's, you know, especially in a business situation, right? Uh, everybody's dressed a little bit differently. It's probably a little bit more formal and a little bit more charged, but you can still pull some information out of it. And one thing I think that leaders should keep in mind is that if if you have somebody on your team that interacts with the candidate and that person on your team is polypositive and they come in with a positive report, you kind of have to consider... Well, you, you say something nice about pretty much everybody, right? You have to consider your source. Same thing, you know, for whatever reason, I've got a long history of IT people just being, just being negative, right? And so when we would interview somebody, uh, the, a lot of the IT people would come in, we like, well, here's all the problems with this guy. Uh, okay, all right, but did you see anything good? right did you see anything that would keep you from being able to complete this project that we're going to be working on for the next year you know that kind of thing so i want to say to new leaders or new leaders especially consider your source when you're getting that you know when you're getting that feedback and that's really valuable because you don't want you don't want the the short the shortcomings of your current team To torpedo something that could be really good and you don't want to as you were saying "Ah, this person checks all our boxes you don't you don't want to force that on a team where it's not going to work yeah
2: yeah. and you know every now and then we'll throw in a a real-time situation you know a part of that group interview you know how Mm -hmm. see how they respond to it are they already thinking or, or, you know, analyzing this the way that we would or want to. Um, and then, you know, I think a lot of it is in just the, the questions we ask. We often ask what who's the you know, for the position that you want, who's the mm-hmm. best person at this position and why? What makes them good at it? Have they researched that position? Are they looking to other people as role models that can help them grow in that you know, and you can see how intentional people are. Is it just a job because they need one, or is this something that they're really excited about? And you want, you know, we keep going back to, to energy, and you know, we talked last week about arrival mindset. If they're going to show up every day with energy and enthusiasm, those are the kind of people that move your company forward.
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: You know, and I think it's, it, it, you know, one of the formative experiences I've had in this country is uh, when I got interviewed for my green card. And the line of questioning was fascinating and I still think of it to this day because what they're trying to do is they're trying to get you off balance. And if they get you off balance, they're gonna run with that line of questioning. And and I think that so many people come before us in an interview and they're well prepared. You know, they know a little bit about the company, they know a little bit about us, and you know, you're gonna get, you know, you're getting the highlight reel. How do we as leaders kind of derail that a little bit? You know, how do we meet them unexpectedly so we can get into different layers of who's sitting in front of us, right? Mm -hmm. If we just touch on all the stuff that they've prepared for, they're going to kill it, Mm -hmm. right? They should. They should, right? Yeah, I did this in school. I volunteered here. I did that. You know what I mean? Um, So what (laughs) questions or what can we do in the interview process that they are not prepared for?
0: is that sean does that mean does that mean that when you're in the interview and they start asking you questions you say did did you notice that it says ivy league there on my you you did see that right uh,
1: the ivy leagues i think it's what i think it's that was a a 1999 uh 1-800 get a degree um but you know what i mean because like so many of us we ask the same questions and these people know what's coming right if you're if you're a baseball player and you know a fastball is coming guess what you're gonna hit it out of the park right? Mm-hmm. But you don't every time because some pitchers throw you sliders and different pitches. So how do we throw interview candidates different pitches?
0: I think it's taking them out of the environment. I think like physically taking them out of the environment. So in in the corporate world, like look, I, I have a friend who spent a lot of money getting his resume done, right? And he sent me, I think, two or three different versions. But it it just didn't tell the story of who he was, right? And so he's having these interviews, and people were, the people interviewing him eventually would get to the point where they were asking him questions that didn't seem to make sense because the resume didn't reflect who he was, really, right? And so I think in in the era of you know, finding the answer on Google and, and having resume services and having like polished answers, taking people out of the environment that they expect, or that's part of the dance is a really good way to get to know somebody, right? Whether it's going for a walk, walking through the facility, like my friend wanted to do, like doing all these different things. And it also, it's also very important to not be aggressive about it, right? I'm not trying to trip you up. I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to do something to embarrass you or make you stutter or something like that, but it almost sort of like, hey, can we just agree that this, that this whole resume interview process is kind of just shit, and can you just tell me who you are and what you want to do, and I'll tell you what's going on here, and our job is to try to figure out if we should talk again about you working with us.
2: Yeah, I love that that line of, of transparency. You know, um, hey, look, we, we're not, <laughs> this job isn't just gonna be me and you sitting across from a desk and cordially discussing the next steps. It's in real time, it's, it's action-packed, emotions are gonna be involved. Let's get in an environment that simulates that and let's see if we work together well then, you know? So yeah, to your point, I think it's I think the environment dictates so much.
1: You know, and a couple of things that we use, David, that, you know, we've discussed before is, you know, when an interview candidate's coming in, we'll crumple up a piece of paper and put it right in the middle of the threshold of the door and, and see if that interviewee stops, picks it up and throws it in the trash or steps over it. Mm-hmm. And, and and for us, that's very telling. You know, is it is this person a renter or is this person an owner? Um, you have a bunch of boxes in your office, you know, and that person comes in and right as they come in, be like, sorry, I'm a little behind. I got to take these eight boxes up to... You know, this storage room. Well, you can only carry four of them. Are they willing to help you and pick up the other four? You know what I mean? And I'm, those are just two real small examples, but that's what I mean by putting things in front of people t- to see how they navigate them. And, and I think those things reveal a ton about someone.
0: And I think it also reveals a ton about the leader, too, because, like, a leader, like, we talked about responsibility last week, which I think we could probably talk about for another six months. But You know, the leader has a responsibility to build the team, create the culture, get the right person in there. But if you take half a step back, the leader also has a responsibility to that person who came to apply for the job, right? And if that person, for whatever reason, doesn't seem like it would would be a good fit, right, for them, a leader's responsible to say, I know we could offer you this money and you'd say yes, but I don't think it's going to be good for you how how can I help you can I give you a reference to something else can I you know find out more about what you might be interested in so I could give you some suggestions but you know when when you're in the position especially when people are showing up in interviews like in my situation in a suit right they're they're more likely to play a game that is actually quite unhealthy right Mm -hmm. And you have to, you have to do your best to be able to strip all that away to look at them and say, all right, is this going to be a good thing for you? Like, do you know your own story well enough to be able to match it with our story and what you want to do and your, you know, interests and desires and your goals? Will that go along with what we're trying to do here? You know, it's a, it's a tricky thing. And again, it's more art than science. Yeah. Sean and I know a couple guys who've I mean, just
2: flat out lied on their resumes <laughs> and and just weasel themselves into these really nice, you know, C-suite jobs. And six months in, people are like, you know, you're not getting any of this done in a mm-hmm. in a remotely competent manner. Like, did we miss something on the resume process? And you know, one was honest and was like, yeah, I kind of made a couple things up. Uh, you know, and it's and it, but it's uh. But the fact that you can do that is is
0: incredible, you know, and that that
2: people have no reservations about just making stuff up on resume.
0: Isn't resume Latin for lying? We'd have to ask the Ivy League guy. Creative lying, I believe. Creative (laughs) lying. There you go.
2: Creatively stretching the truth. What uh, what do we do to, you know, uh, how do we find this human connection uh, virtually if we're interviewing across the screen?
0: That's a, tough, that's a tough thing to take out of the context, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And in that way, I think, in my mind, I haven't had to do too much of that, but in my mind, it's being as human, and po- as, human as possible and also sort of addressing the, the big elephants in the room, that it is virtual, that there is a process, that there is sort of like a formality that impedes the human connection right and you have to hope that the other person responds
1: yeah and i think it's far more difficult david not a little bit more difficult far more difficult because you don't share energy with someone you Mm. know there's an intuition that we all have when we're sharing energy you know and whether that's gut feel or you know or, or first impression or whatever that might be you know mike and i um are pretty close with with a College basketball coach in the area, um, who's considered one of the best recruiters in the country, and um, has struggled over the last two years because a lot of his interview stuff has been on Zoom, and he mm-hmm. cannot get a feel for these kids through a computer screen. So, um, yeah, I think it's it, it's a tall it's a tall
2: order. And the the other part about that with him is you know there's this transfer portal where uh, kids can just. Overnight, just decide they're they're transferring. And I think they said that a th- I think it's a third, if not more of college basketball is in the portal right now. So that which is a staggering number. but and so his point to that was that you're you recruit you know higher, but then you're also always recruiting your current players. <laughs> so right. that they don't leave. And 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 that goes back to, again, the relationship piece that we started off with, that, okay, just because you hired them doesn't mean that you aren't continuously recruiting these people, you know? And that, that creates that environment where people want to stay. And when you have an environment that people want to stay, other people want to join that. You, you start to get a higher caliber of resumes because they want to press into whatever it is that this group's got going on over here because none of their players want to transfer, right? There's something to that. People can see that and feel that.
0: Yeah. The, the zoom thing really gets stuck on, you know, whatever study you look at, but it's about 90% of human communication is nonverbal. Right. And yes, we can see the other person's face on the screen. Right. But there's filters, there's artificial backgrounds, there's online classes about how to be online. There's, you know, ways to manipulate your voice to make you sound better, right? Like, I mean, no, nobody who listens to this podcast knows that Sean sounds like a 13-year-old girl in real life, <laughs> right? <laughs> and that is, that, that, is really, that is really, really difficult. And I have to say that there aren't any really clear choices on how to make that better other than trying not to. Or trying not to make it worse. Hmm.
1: Yep. Yep. And again, like you said, getting human, right? I'd love to see, you know, a leader that you know you're in a suit. The other person's in a suit. Take your tie off. Make it a little less formal. Get like, like you said, you know, let's just talk. Let's, you know, get get out of this sterile, you know, line of questioning. Let's figure out who each others are, and does your story dovetail with ours?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's on my list that we haven't hit on yet is that. You know, depending on the size of your company, hiring should be a constant process if you're a leader, right? Like it should be, I I hate the term networking, but it should be always forming connections, always looking for potential solutions. You know, your business changes over time. And even within your business, certain teams, you know, they, they, they They move along and they they change what they're working on and how they work. You know, people develop new skills, you need you have new needs, and you should always be looking at, well, how do I formulate this group for the best possible effect, not only for the business but for them and so if you if you talk openly about that, and I realize that pit crew is a finite group, right? There's only so many people on a pit crew. It's not like as you get further and further through the season you add more and more people and suddenly there are 40 people jumping the wall right but in a you know in a corporate business you know marketing department gets bigger you know the product development team you know needs more resources needs more ability to do things and if that's part of your discussion with your team it's much easier to find a solution it's much easier to hire somebody if you're in a way like always looking towards that type of solution right not offering your team members like an out like the reason we didn't get it done is because we don't have enough people or we couldn't hire a you know a junior designer but think of the think of the team as a, as an organism and what does it need as it grows yeah we've
2: uh... The pit doesn't grow, but we've never made it through a season without making changes to our rosters. And that wasn't because we wanted to. It's just other people step up. Um, we've got a developmental pipeline where we're always looking for talent and always mm-hmm. looking for people to, you know, pre- you know the, the, we talked about it earlier. The people that are going to come in and bet on themselves and bet on us. And we've just seen people rise. And when it's time, when it's their time, it's their time.
1: And I, and I think th- there's a lesson there that the business world can take from the sports world, David, and that's and that's forecasting, right? Steinbrenner used to be famous, you know. If it was 2014, he already had a board in his office that w- what the 2017 Yankees were going to look like. Mm-hmm. Mike and I are always trying to look through our rosters. Okay, what what's next? What's coming? Who who improves us? Who's going to move up? And, and I think. You know, I, I think we can get lulled into the status quo sometime. Be like, Oh, yeah, we're, we're, we're hitting a stride. We should always be trying to bring in people with fresh perspectives, people mm-hmm. that challenge the status quo, um, people with different viewpoints. You know, I, I think that that's our
2: responsibility to keep our, our businesses and our teams moving forward. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it may be a, a little easier for us to do that because we operate in seasons. Right. And so, uh there's a clear off season when it is kind of normal or expected to make changes or to look to hire more people. But, you know, we encourage business leaders to think about your, your year as a season, you know, create a, you know, generally there's a busy part. Generally there's a little bit of a slower part, create an off season, you know, try to, and, and have those expectation meetings, you know, at the start of the season, like every sports team does, you know, so often, we just, we do a little break at Christmas and it's January one or two and it's just right back at it. Same thing. No intention, no expectations upgrade, no revisiting core values. It's just, just kind of on and on and on. And uh, people kind of get burned out with that, you know, but when there's a season, there's a finite ending to it. I think, um, I don't know. I think there's opportunities to really look at hiring in a, in a, in a, in a better, you know, better vantage.
0: Yeah. you Mike, you and I have never talked about it, but just sort of echoing. One of my very common themes when I talk to you know business owners or when we're trying to renovate a business, and that is that idea of you know the the humanity of the cycle of, mm. of making efforts, reevaluating what you're doing during some sort of like I mean in your terms like an off season, right? Um, it, it and every business has a season, right? And sometimes that season like a like an uh, an overworked athlete is forced on them by injury, right? But if you're intentional about, we're going to do this work, we're going to have these, you know, uh, things happen, or we're going to participate in these things, and then we're going we're gonna to take our foot off the gas and reevaluate, right? That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean like we're going to be like the French, and for eight weeks in the summer, nobody's going to answer their phone or do anything, <laughs> right? But it it does mean that pretty much everybody knows in the company that after, you know, whatever the event is or the sales period or something like that, that there's, that there's a time to rest and heal and reevaluate while you're still coming into work and doing some things, but no one's really expected to, you know, pull all nighters or, or make these huge efforts. And in fact, you really want to look at what you did and see if it was the best thing.
2: Right. And that's when you get to evaluate your people. You know, are, did, are there any misses on this team? Did we get mm-hmm. did we get it right in the last couple of years? Oh, mm-hmm. And if we didn't, d- is it time to let someone go? Is it time to make a change, uh, bring new people in? Um, mm-hmm. But if you're always just in it, you're just going to kind of gravitate toward the biggest resume. And so, so much of this good hiring practice piece is just having the time to do it creating that time in your schedule as a leader
3: mm-hmm. to go
2: find, to go find uh brilliant people.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do we have any more practical tips?
2: I mean, if we, Sean, if you want to just kind of talk through like how our first day works with, you know, timeliness and, uh, sure. <laughs> you know, where, where we're even getting these re- recruits or people in the first place. Um, I mean, I think some, a lot of that I think could, could apply.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, when we looked at the way other people were doing it, you know, they're recruiting out of the Big Ten or the SEC, and we made a decision pretty early on we weren't going to do that. What we did is we opened up, at the time, Chip Ganassi Racing, that anyone in the country could come at 8 a.m. on Wednesday morning and try out for our pit crew. If they showed up at 7.30 or 7.45, they got a check mark and they moved on. Mm-hmm. If they showed up at 8 or later, they were gone. Um, and then when you you know w- watch a NASCAR practice, it's for about two and a half hours, and you can imagine there's a lot of dirty work, greasy wheels, jacks, and there's a lot of guys you know that have to clean the tires up. And we look to see if they jump into that work unprompted. If mm-hmm. they do, it speaks volumes about them, and they get a check mark and they move on. If they don't, they're gone. Mm-hmm. Now the reason we bring them in on Wednesday is is Wednesday is the most distal day to race day. So mm-hmm. it is also the hardest workout of the week. So we take them up to where we work out. We don't ask them to lift the most weight or jump the highest. We ask them to finish. Mm-hmm. And and it's an awful workout. And what it shows us is their intestinal fortitude. Do they have it? And you know, we had a kid that, you know, left halfway one time, threw up and came back and was all dejected at the end. And we loved it, right? It showed a ton of intestinal fortitude. And that's what we're looking for. So, so now speak. David, yeah, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> so now David, imagine this. You've been on campus for about three hours and you're exhausted from a workout. And I have 26 alpha males and females, former NFL linebackers, Navy SEALs, All-American baseball players. And I'm just going to tap you on the shoulder and be like, hey, David, break the group out for me. That's a hard thing to do. Right? So mm-hmm. now you have to put your hand in the middle. Think of something to say to these people and break them out. If you handle that, it kind of reveals a little bit of how you handle pressure. Mm-hmm. After that, that's when you go on um, uh, lunch and spend some time with four to six of our people. If they come back and it's thumbs up all around, then you're going to sit down and you're going to interview with Mike and I. Mm-hmm. And, and what that does is we don't get fooled. You know, We've had a couple of people in that visually look like physical specimens. And we're, and we're like, oh, my God, this, this person's going to be unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And they show up late. Mm-hmm. Or or they don't help out cleaning tires, or they don't get through the workout. We, but what we don't do is say, "Well, maybe they're just having a bad day." We don't make excuses for them. It's mm-hmm. it's pass fail, and it's got to be pass, 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 pass. You you, you if you'd like to start, you're going to do this for two months for three for free, mm-hmm. right? We don't. You know, so many of us will get a visual cue or something on a resume where we're like, "Well, okay, I'll overlook this, this, and this because this is really excites me." Mm-hmm. we don't we don't because we don't trust our judgment in that area mm-hmm. so it's a non-negotiable it's pass fail and uh, you get you get through all of them um you're going to join our team
0: can i send you a couple of cfo candidates and see how they do
1: absolutely absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. we would love that <laughs>
0: well i think if you're in the business world and you're you're listening to sean's uh, gauntlet of pass fail criteria Something like that is not going to fly, especially if there's (laughs) carpet in your office and people are wearing ties, right?
2: There'll be no puking involved. Say again. There's probably going to be no puking involved.
0: At least in the beginning. Yeah. But I think that from a, from a business owner's perspective or a uh, hiring manager's perspective, there are things that you can do to find how somebody reacts to pressure, whether they're willing to pitch in, how they, you know, deal with promptness and responsibility, and you know, some of these candidates may be overly primed, and I think some of those tests would be, I don't know, almost too easy to pass, right? Because you're dealing with somebody who would look at it and say, "Oh, of course, I'll help you carry that into the conference room," right? Mm-hmm. Um, but i think that i think that taking that cue and trying to figure out in your own environment how you would figure out how to evaluate those kinds of things in a in a in a potential candidate in a hiring situation and also how to figure out how to connect with them humanly right, right. Yeah. those are the those are the in my mind those are the two biggest things because in general, unless somebody's lied on their resume, and you can have other people vet their knowledge, they're not going to be there if they can't technically do the job. Right? Um, There are liars and cheats out there, but there's not that many of them, as far as I can tell.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like the the sticking your hand in and breaking out the group, you know, that could just be as simple as, hey, just I really enjoyed our time. Teams had a rough day, you know. We've got this big project we got to do. Any? Would you mind just maybe sending a note that I could share with the team, just to, you know, encourage them, or you know, just like, or anything that you think would be helpful. Just see how see how they respond to that. Mm -hmm. Oh no, I don't. Well, you know, what's? I think you can get a lot. There's a lot that you can do, but it's just it's just up to us as leaders to sit down, take the time, think about what really matters. Uh, how we want to hire and, you know, and really don't back down until we get that, you know, those people that we want.
0: Yeah. And I, I'm a, i am I hate rules. I hate, you know, the six, the top six lists, you know, everybody must do that kind of thing. But I I do have some things that I want to throw out. Let's do it. One of them is, especially in a business situation, if you have a candidate And you ask that question, and you ask that candidate questions almost intentionally to try to see if they come up with a response of, I don't know, and they don't ever respond, I don't know. I think that's a big red flag, right? Mm -hmm. If they always have to have the answer, if they always have to be, you know, uh, turning their weaknesses into a strength kind of thing that's that's a huge red flag. I think another huge red flag, especially when they get together with the team, is a lack of curiosity. If, it, you You should prime your team to let them be curious. Describe a problem, describe what they're working on, you know, that kind of thing. And if they don't, they, the candidate, doesn't come back with, you know, how do you do that? Or, how do you guys you know figure out how to solve this problem or something like that? if they have to be a know-it-all, huge red flag right And you, you can't deal with too many huge red flags no matter how big the resume is
2: If we've gone through through all of this with with people and we kind of get to the, the end of the day and say, all right, you know what what thoughts or questions do you have and there's zero questions and that's that's kind of a red flag. <laughs> If you, you got through all of that and you don't, you, you got, you understand all of it already. Hmm. Interesting.
1: Well, and that's, it's like the five page questionnaire they end with, with us. If it's one word answers, if it's lightly filled out, that might not get it, you know, because, you know, excitement, you know, a lot of times we see, you know, it's double sided because people are so excited to tell us what they can bring to the team, what they can Mm -hmm. bring to the table, their experiences. And it just denotes that.
0: Mm Hmm. I feel like we've gone around the bend with this, and I want to add this little caveat that if you're a new leader and you're looking at hiring people, I'm I'm sorry it sounds like such a mess, (laughs) (laughs) right? It can be a positive experience, it can be something that's really worthwhile, and the more you do it, the better you'll get at it, but we don't want to we don't want to look at this with rose colored glasses and say, well, if you check these boxes, then everything will work out. Well, you have to be open and honest and curious and humble yourself to get through this process. Well,
2: yeah, I think don't, we don't need to use all of our, you know, brilliant um, ideas and and strategies in just the strategy (laughs) of the company itself. A lot of that Mm -hmm. brilliance should be implied into who, becomes the fabric and the dna of our organizations
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and i'm going to end with en- enthusiasm over aptitude and allow yourself some grace for getting it wrong
0: yes 100 percent with this and everything else mm-hmm. well we're always open to questions and i feel like we're going to revisit this again especially with listener questions so thank you for taking the time and we're looking forward to talking to you again next week
3: Thanks, everyone. See y'all.